It's much broader than just gender and race for me. Our goal is to ensure that every employee within Exelon feels valued and included. Welcome to Electric Perspectives, a podcast that explores how America's electric companies are working to deliver the reliable, affordable, secure, and clean energy that powers our economy and our everyday lives. The show is brought to you by EEI, the Edison Electric Institute, which represents all U.S. investor-owned electric companies. I'm your host, Brian Real. Before we get started, I want to let you know that registration for EEI 2023 is open. This year's Thought Leadership Forum promises to be a fitting celebration for EEI's 90th anniversary. Join industry and government leaders, technology innovators and partners, regulators, and other stakeholders as we showcase the actions and leadership of America's electric companies to deliver resilient clean energy across our economy. You can visit eei.org for more information and to register. EEI's member companies are committed to advancing diversity, equity, and inclusion in their own workforces and to creating new economic opportunities in the communities that they serve. As we aim to deliver a resilient clean energy future to customers, we know that our success depends on us creating new pathways for diverse candidates to enter the energy workforce and on us removing roadblocks to entry. EEI's member companies also are focused on retaining these promising new employees by providing development opportunities, mentorships, and by ensuring that employees understand how companies are working to ensure that all customers and all communities are benefiting from the clean energy transition. On today's episode, Calvin Butler, President and CEO of Exelon Corporation, and Courtney Peterson, EEI Vice President, Chief Diversity Officer, and Chief Human Resources Officer, will discuss Calvin's career journey, Exelon's DEI programs and initiatives, how Exelon and its companies are ensuring that diverse job candidates have equal access to energy workforce, and more. I'll turn it over to Courtney to lead today's conversation. Thank you, Brian. Calvin, thank you for being on the show. I'm truly delighted to have you here today. How are you? I'm good, Courtney, and thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So let's jump right into it. Earlier this year, you became the president and CEO of Exelon after serving in various leadership roles at Exelon and its subsidiaries over the past decade. For our listeners who may not be aware, can you tell us about Exelon's companies and how many customers you serve and in which states? Absolutely. And before I begin, Courtney, let me just say thank you. Thank you for uh, having me and thank you to EEI and you for addressing this very important topic of diversity, equity, and inclusion within the energy industry. It's an important topic and something that we take very seriously. And at Exelon, we have the privilege to serve 10.6 million customers across six very distinct jurisdictions, going from Atlantic City, New Jersey, to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Wilmington, Delaware, Baltimore, Maryland, our nation's capital, the District of Columbia, and of course, Chicago, Illinois. You know, those urban areas, rural areas, and coastal areas, why it's so important to us is that one, serving them, but also they're at the forefront of this energy transition. And the ability to serve them and move them along in this transition is something that we take very serious. Excellent. Thank you, Calvin. Exelon is clearly a leader in this space, as are you. And I'd love to talk more about your journey. Recently, you were interviewed by USA Today for your efforts to fight for corporate diversity. In the article, you said, if I can do it, I know you can. And I'm here to help you get there. 
Can you tell us a bit about your journey to becoming the leader of one of the largest energy companies in America, as well as your perspectives on diversity and corporate leadership? Yes. And uh, again, it, it has been a journey. I, for those of you who don't know, I am a, uh, I'm a corporate attorney by training. And I took a, uh, a route that many wouldn't prescribe to in the sense that I, right out of law school, I went in-house. And I had the pleasure to work for an energy holding company who owned a local gas and electric utility in Peoria, Illinois. And what was key about that, Courtney, and I think what was telling for me is that the CEO of the holding company, Bob Veets, was my mentor. I met him when I was an undergraduate student before I went to law school, and we developed a relationship. And what was telling is that I got to see him sitting in the chair of being a CEO. I, he gave me the opportunity to spend time with him and his colleagues, and I knew I wanted to do it. Now, if you'd have asked me 25 years ago or 30 years ago how to go about getting it done, I wouldn't have said I knew except for working hard. But many opportunities were presented along the way, and that front seat to be with him and to be part of this industry early on in the mid-90s when it was going through deregulation, I think really set the stage for me coming back to the industry after I left it for 10 years. I got operations experience, and then I joined Exelon in 2008. And as you said, variety of roles, but all, as I like to think of, adding tools to my tool belt that if one day I got the opportunity to sit in this chair, I was well equipped to be president and CEO of this organization. And I, you know, I went from an attorney to our chief lobbyist to running one of our utilities to handling mergers and acquisitions. So the background was varied, but all with just instilling different skills and knowledge to be, I hope, uh, one of the best CEOs in our industry. Absolutely. Calvin, you touched upon a topic that's especially important to me, and this is, of course, the topic of leadership. And you mentioned the importance of bearing witness to leadership, which is how you sort of were able to come up through your career and the value of mentors. So tell us a little bit more about these mentors in your life. What role did they serve? How were they critical in helping you rise to your current position? We'd love to learn more about them. <laughs> that's a great question. I, I mentioned uh, Bob Beats, who to this day, we're still very close. And I think when I was named CEO, I think he was prouder than any parent. My kids still call him Uncle Bob. And what's interesting about it is I remember the first conversation when he offered me the job in in-house counsel. I was sitting in his office in Peoria. He looked across the desk at me. He said, you know, this is not normal, right? I said, I do. And then he had this big smile and he goes, you know, if this doesn't work, right? I said, I do. <laughs> but it was that desire to make him proud and to do the job well, that was never um, questioned. Mm -hmm. And along the way, the growth, you could just see the pride in him and my grind that he appreciated. And before I left Silcorp, in 1999 to go outside the industry, first thing I did was I had a conversation with him because how much I valued that relationship, where if he would have told me, no, I need you to stay here, or I want you to stay here, I would have stayed. But he said, what is a real opportunity for you and your family to go and grow? 
And I left the industry for nine years. And then when I had the pleasure to be at R.R. Donnelly, which was at that time the world's largest commercial printing company, I had two individuals who took me under their wings. One, the vice chairman of R.R. Donnelly, Jim Donnelly, who told me, he goes, I see you being the CEO of this company, but I need you to get operations experience. And he trusted me enough to put me in a program to train me to become a Six Sigma green belt and later a ISO certified auditor. And then I ran two manufacturing plants for R.R. Donnelly. And as I like to say, running those manufacturing plants, P&L gave me street cred, right? Mm -hmm. And I was able to do that and demonstrate that I was much more than a lawyer, a lobbyist, and a corporate type. Later on, I had the pleasure of meeting the CEO and working closely with the CEO of R.R. Donnelly, Mark Engelson. Mark continues to be a mentor to this day. Mark moved me back to corporate after running two manufacturing plants and expanded my corporate role and gave me a government sales, federal and state government affairs, president of the foundation as supplier diversity. So my learning continued. I later was recruited to join Exelon in 2008. And what was significant about that, Frank Clark, who my first African-American CEO I had the opportunity to work for, he recruited me and I learned so much from Frank how he carried himself, how he rose through the ranks from the mailroom at ComEd to become its CEO. Frank had a very humble spirit and a spirit of service about him. And I always admired that because Frank was a very soft-spoken individual. And I just recognized how he moved within the corporate ranks and moved within the corporate departments and rooms. Also is where I had the pleasure of meeting Bill Von Haney, who I think is one of my closest friends and a huge sponsor. Now, what's interesting about that, neither Frank or Bill would say they, I was their mentee, but I can tell you they were sponsors. And the difference of a sponsor and a mentor, I think, is this. Mentors, you set up regular meetings and you talk about your development and so forth. A sponsors are individuals that when you're not in the room are speaking up on your behalf. Asking the question, why not Calvin for that next opportunity? Or, I, and, or proactively saying, I think Calvin would do great in that role. And I can tell you, I think that was both Frank and Bill. Mm -hmm. They were sponsors of mine and they did so much for my career development, but also my career in general. So those are just some examples, but so many people invested in me. And along the way, I hope I continue to make them proud. Fantastic, Calvin. I love all of the specific shout outs to your mentors along the way. Um, and also the way that you speak about the value of being a lifelong learner and that work ethic that you brought to ensure that you were worthy of sponsorship. Um, I'm curious to know what the specific things that you think other leaders can be doing to help the next generation follow in your footsteps, right? So what is your advice to other leaders as it relates to mentorship, sponsorship, why does it matter? How can they do a better job at it? Wow, that's, that's a great question. And, I'm, and I'll be honest with you, Courtney, I've never thought about it in those terms. I can tell you what I do. But I think everyone's different because everyone leads from the front a different way. You, and I think the first thing they need, you need to do as a leader is to be genuine and authentic to how you go about it. I like to show up. I like to spend time with people, get to know them. I, I'm not personally, 
very big into the mentor-mentee relationship. But what I do recognize is talent. And I give very direct and timely feedback to individuals. Because if I can't, and this is what I do, if I can't tell you directly and give you examples on your performance to you, shame on me for doing it behind you. So what you do well, I'll tell you what you do well. Where you're falling short, I'll tell you where you're falling short and tell you what I'm going to say in the room when you're not there. Because that level of feedback gives individuals the opportunity to rectify, course adjust, whatever they need to do if they care about the feedback. So I tend to be one of those where feedback is timely. It's very transparent. And again, not saying that you should do what I say or even how I would do it, but I am just one input that you should consider if you value it. And, and that's how I tend to engage with leaders that I, people that I see have potential and those who really seek that level of input. That's excellent, Calvin. And I want you to know how much I admire the way that you show up as a leader and your authenticity, that you're an incredible role model for many of us in this industry. Thank you. So I want to switch gears and talk a little bit more about the work that Exelon is doing in the DE&I space. So Exelon is just consistently recognized for achieving such excellence in pursuing DE&I values. So what are your specific priorities in the areas of diversity, equity, and inclusion for the current year? What are you focusing on right now? For us, diversity, equity, and inclusion, we express them as our core values. And by core values, I mean that they're key components of our business, not just something nice to do or something to talk about or an afterthought in that process. Our, our efforts around DEI don't sit along the side. When you see us doing it well, it is because it's interwoven in all aspects of our business. So when we talk about, when I talk about leading the energy transition for the next multi-decades and doing it equitably, it's really anchored on four key elements. One is always around delivering customer value. And we, we're doing that by investing in technologies and programs to help our customers, to help them afford what we provide. We're also in, investing over $31 billion through 2026 in our infrastructure. And investing that $31 billion to harden and make the grid more resilient is one thing, but who you invested with and where you invested matters. At the same time, we're working to modernize the and upgrade the energy grid. And we have to have it ready to meet future energy demands. And I think encompassing all of those is prioritizing our investments in our communities. And we want to be considered a partner in our communities. We want to help our communities meet their climate commitments. We want to be thought of as the leader in workforce development and supplier diversity programs, as well as our STEM initiatives and climate change, being the first in the industry to create a racial equity capital fund, because not just because it's nice to do, but because we recognize that minority businesses, number one barrier to growth is access to capital. So it's one thing to talk about it, but put your money up where it matters to you. You know, as an example of that, Courtney, you know, in 2022, Exelon invested in our partner with diverse suppliers and spent $2.9 billion with diverse suppliers 
across our jurisdictions. Let me put that in context. A company twice our size said the other day, hey, we had a really good year around supplier diversity. We invested $895 million with diverse suppliers. Mm. <laughs> now, I just told you we invested $2.9 billion. That is how I know we're making a difference. That's 56% of our total spend from 2016 to 2021. My team is working to show up every day. Now, I'd be, I'd be misleading you if I said we do everything right. But what I always tell my customers and our employees is that if people see our intent and look at our actions and how we self-adjust or course correct, judge us by that, assume some innocence and trust that we'll get it right. And so those are our focus areas. And, and, you know, and that's how I'm confident that Exelon will lead this energy transition equitably and also reliably. Thank you for that, Calvin. It's it's clear that the intent of Exelon is very intentional. And that $2.9 billion number of spend with diverse suppliers shows the impact. It's just incredible. So I want to talk more about another topic that's near and dear to me. And it has to do with sort of the culture of organizations and what it feels like to be an employee in an organization. You have said that DEI is the future of the workforce. And so as it relates to what it feels like to be an Exelon employee, how does your company advance these principles internally and support diverse employees? What does this look and feel like inside of your organization? I, I think it looks and feels different for every employee, depending on where he or she sits. You know, we're, we're talking diverse employees, but diversity can be described as someone who's in their early 60s and been working for the organization for 30 or 40 years and feeling left out of this transition. It could be that new hire that is 22 years old that doesn't have a college degree and wondering where he or she is going to go next if they have a future in the organization. It could be that mom who are adult who been staying home and just re-entered the workforce at you know start restart their career. So it's much broader than just gender and race for me. My goal, our goal, is to ensure that every employee within Exelon feels valued and included. But there rubs the challenge, right? Because every program by nature potentially make someone else feel alienated or not included. So what I go, how I talk about it to my team members is I say, look, we are a company that's committed to serving our jurisdictions. We need to be representative of the communities that we serve, not only in our entry level positions, but our executive level positions. And if we do that, everyone has a seat but we're going to have processes and procedures in place to ensure that everyone has an opportunity to have a seat. And we're going to invest, put our money in programs to ensure that everyone across our jurisdictions know that the Exelon companies have a place for them if they choose to work for us. So that's where you see us investing in our STEM programs especially for young women. That's where you see us investing in our workforce development programs at under-resourced schools that traditionally don't have parents or 
uh, relatives that ever worked for one of our utilities. That's where you see us investing in job development programs, job training programs. Um, that's how we've been recognized and that's how we show up every day. Calvin, that's an excellent segue because I really would love for you to tell our listeners more about the Exelon Foundation STEM Academy. Can you tell us about the goal of the Academy and how it came about? Because from what I've read, this is just such an exciting, exciting program. Yeah, it, it is exciting. And I, I, I need to give credit to, to our foundation, but just as important, more important, Chris Crane, my predecessor, because Chris, from day one, talked about we were going to be a different company. You know, as he was, when he was chair of EEI, he chose as his initiative workforce development. And he said our STEAM, our STEM Leadership Academy was going to be the model to give young women in high school hands-on experience, to give them an opportunity to visit. At that time, we owned a nuclear plant. Give them an opportunity to go into our utilities and get hands-on experience, and more importantly, get them excited about working in the industry. So we launched the program in 2018 to provide these young women invaluable resources. And when we thought about doing this, we never imagined providing these young women scholarships, four-year scholarships to attend college, and then to have internships with us every year if they chose to come back. Now, we set goals for them, but our goal was more importantly to prepare them, educate them, always want them to come back, but giving them the knowledge and experience where they could go anywhere. That's really what those STEM programs are. And they're very popular, as you can imagine, very competitive, but some of the best work that we do. Absolutely. I've read a number of the narratives on the website about the participants uh, within the academy, and it absolutely is making a significant impact. I want to talk to you now about the ways in which Exelon is working to help underserved communities benefit from the significant investments being made to build to build a resilient, clean energy economy, including funding from the Inflation Reduction Act and the bipartisan infrastructure law. Can you tell us more about that work? Yeah, it and it's it's nonstop. You know. We show up every day and understanding our communities where we work and our employees live. Um, we have several efforts in flight, including dedicated limited income energy efficiency programs, enabling clean electric transportation options, including school buses and public transportation and limited income community solar programs, ensuring that new jobs in the clean energy sector are filled locally. And that goes back to our previous conversation, developing programs targeted for the jurisdictions that we serve for people to get jobs with their local utility. And I think as big, working with community partners to provide job training and workforce development programs. So what I'm saying there, Courtney, is we don't have to do it all, but partner with those organizations within the community who have a track record and who are trusted, where they see us as a valuable partner. So I think that are just a few examples of how we show up and ensure that we're bringing all the communities along. As I always say, is that when we talk about this energy transition, it won't be just if you leave neighborhoods or certain communities behind. And we see it as part of our job 
a key part of our role is to make sure everyone comes along. Absolutely. That power of partnerships is a, is a true game changer. Calvin, as you start your first year leading Exelon as president and CEO, how do you plan to keep DEI at the forefront of your company's culture? I think keeping DEI at the forefront is being very deliberate and intentional about what you stand for. You know, Courtney, we've worked together and, and, and you've very you know, gracious in saying, hey, I'm a role model to certain. I think what people appreciate about me, I hope anyway, is that I'm consistent. I'm consistent in how I show up each and every day. I don't have many highs, I don't have many lows, and I tell you where my values are. Not many things upset me until I see that individuals aren't getting a fair opportunity or being disrespected. To me, you take diversity, equity, and inclusion as being a core component of who we are, and we say that's who we are, then we're going to walk that talk. That's why I always, it starts with me. I need to live those values. And my hope, my job is to role model that behavior. Earlier in this interview, in this conversation, I talked about, it's not just about gender and race, it's about all of our 19,000 employees, but we are very clear about if you're going to work for Exelon, these are the values that you're going to be required to demonstrate. We don't hesitate to express those. We don't hesitate to hold people accountable to that. Again, we have organizations within our business that are 200 plus years old. We have departments that are transitioning and it's not easy for everyone but I will give them the opportunity. I will provide the training if they need it to understand what it means to be inclusive and what it means to respect your fellow coworkers. But we're not going to back off of who we are and who we say we are. So when I say it starts with me, that's exactly what I mean. Absolutely. And Calvin, you're living the values and we're grateful for your leadership, truly. So as we wrap up today, I want to give you an opportunity to share anything else that you would want our listeners to, to know about you or about the work of Exelon. I would say, Courtney, first off, again, thank you. I, I think the biggest piece that I, I want to share with individuals is that I've been very fortunate to work with some of the best CEOs and leadership in this industry. And I continuously learn and what I understand about being in this industry more than anywhere else. It takes a team, and we have been so fortunate to have the responsibility to deliver power, electricity, and natural gas to so many homes, and none of us take it lightly. And I think the power of the team is really what makes Exelon special. I refer to it as the power of the platform, and it, it's something that I value and we embrace as an organization. And when we do it right and we show up, it's amazing. But when we have uh, something go sideways, you, you, it's immediately is apparent, but our ability to self-adjust and to get back on course is, goes to just show you how, what a resilient organization we are. And that is what I appreciate. And that's why I think it's such a privilege to be sitting in this seat and 
honored from our, I got the opportunity from our board and from our, my predecessor, Chris Crane. So it's been nice. Calvin, thank you. Thank you again for being with us today. We learned so much from you today and I look forward to seeing you soon. Yes, ma'am. And thank you, Courtney. And you have a great day, okay? And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening and come back next week to hear more from experts and industry leaders who are talking about the innovative ways electric companies are building a cleaner, smarter, stronger energy future for the customers and communities they serve. You can subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Podbeam, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Electric Perspectives. I'm your host, Brian Real. Thanks for listening.